Just then, one of the Israelites came and brought a Midianite woman into his family, in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of the whole congregation of the Israelites, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he got up and left the congregation. Taking a spear in his hand, he went after the Israelite man into the tent and pierced the two of them, the Israelite and the woman, through the belly. So the plague was stopped among the people of Israel. The names of those two newlyweds who were skewered by Phineas the priest were Zimri, a Hebrew man of the tribe of Simeon, and Cosby, the Midianite woman. Both are said to be important people, the children of leaders of their clans. If the story were a fairy tale, they would probably be called a prince and a princess of their respective peoples. But of course, their story isn't a fairy tale. It is a biblical tale told in the 25th chapter of Numbers, a tale in which they are portrayed not as lovers, but as terrible sinners whose transgression of loving each other justifies their murder. Phineas, the man who skewered them, is portrayed as a hero, the perfect example of what religious zeal ought to look like in the Bible. In the Bible, this story is the story of how Phineas became the greatest priest in the history of Israel. But surely there must have been another story on the other end of the spear, who will tell the forbidden love story of Zimri and Cosby. Who else? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 4.5 Sex Kebabs Cosby stood on the top of the hill with her father. Zur, one of the key leaders of the people of the Midianites. They were looking down on the large camp of Hebrew nomads on the plain below. Now, the Midianites themselves were largely a nomadic people. They were always on the move, seeking new lands to feed and water their herds and flocks. And when you have lived like that for generations... Your understanding of what it takes to survive, and even to thrive in such a harsh environment, runs deep. You especially come to know the spiritual powers to which you need to pay homage in such a desert place. This new group, however, were obviously novices at the art of desert survival. The word was that they had been making all kinds of mistakes as they traveled through the territory. When they came to one oasis, for example, the people had panicked when they saw that there was no water. They didn't understand 
the tendency for desert springs to become clogged with mineral deposits, and the need for an elder to strike the head of the spring with a staff to make the water flow again. On another occasion a flock of migrating quails had come to ground right in the midst of the Hebrew camp. Now, the Midianites knew that this kind of thing happened at the time of the great migration of the birds, and that it was indeed a great blessing. The quails were so exhausted by their flight when they landed that they lost all fear of humans. They could be harvested by the dozens, even by the hundreds, with little trouble. But a wise nomad knew not to take them by the hundreds or even the dozens. Their flesh turned easily rancid if not eaten or properly preserved, and anyone who ate it would fall sick and die. That is exactly what happened to the Hebrews, and the Midianites, when they heard of it, shook their heads at such foolishness. Somehow, however, despite their ignorance, the Hebrews had survived up until this point. The rumor was that they had managed because their leader, a certain Moses, was actually married to a Midianite woman, the daughter of a Midianite priest, and that she was feeding him vital desert survival information. Somehow, the very idea of such an exotic marriage to a strange and ignorant Hebrew excited Cosby in ways that surprised her. Maybe it was the idea of being able to teach him and lead him to a better way of life, and the deeper mystical truths of the desert people like the wife of Moses, Zipporah had done for him. But, of course, Cosby did not mention such ridiculous and unseemly fantasies to her father. Instead, she joined him in mocking the ignorant Hebrews for a while, until they both turned back to their flock. It was about a week later that one of the prize ewes from the flock wandered away from the rest while the herders were distracted from their work. Zur was not worried. That sheep had always been particularly adventurous, but surely it had not gone too far. Cosby volunteered to go off and search for her. She expected to be back within the hour, but it seemed that fate and expectation were not to be aligned on that day. Cosby heard what might be the sound of a familiar bleat, which led her into a small canyon. But there, much to her surprise, she found not a you, but a Hebrew man. He, like the missing sheep, had wandered away from his flock. When she saw him, he looked so helpless that she felt her heart melt for him. It probably didn't hurt that he was tall, handsome, and muscular. She had to help him. There was a certain language barrier between them. 
but they still managed to communicate. The Hebrews had been passing through Midianite territory for some time and had picked up some of the local lingo. In addition, most travelers and traders throughout the region could speak a crude form of Egyptian because, well, everything came back to the Egyptians in those days. So she was able to discover that his name was Zimri and that he was a prince among the people of Simeon. She had a pretty good idea where the Hebrew camp was and she promised to show him the way there. As they walked together, they talked. He told her the story of his people and how they had served the Egyptians. He told her the amazing story of how their god, Yahweh, had saved them from their slavery and how they fled and managed to escape the pursuing Egyptian cavalry. She told him the traditions and the stories of her own people and of the god of her tribe, Baal of Peor. And as each struggled to make himself or herself understood, as they gazed into each other's eyes, well, something began to blossom between them. They came into the camp, and Zimri happily led her to the tent of his father, Salu. His family was quite relieved to see him return, and they joyfully welcomed his lovely guide. They offered to her the hospitality that would be afforded to any traveler through the region, and they offered it with kindness and warmth. Soon they were about as taken with Cosby as their son was. It was not just because she was friendly and beautiful. They also saw the benefit of creating some sort of alliance with the local people, especially because in a desert... Traditional knowledge about how to survive is always extremely valuable. When Cosby left, it was with an understanding that Salu would soon send a family representative to speak with her father about a marriage. Moses was relaxing in his tent. It was still early morning and he had taken a rare opportunity to rest in his bed. His wife, Zipporah, had gone out early with many of the other women to gather some manna to break their fast. Moses' stomach grumbled with anticipation. His peaceful anticipation was rudely interrupted, however when someone barged right into the tent. Moses groaned, of course. It had to be Phineas. Phineas was the son of Eleazar, whom Moses had made high priest when his father, Moses' brother Aaron, had died. Phineas had recently begun to assist his father in priestly duties. He was competent very good at slaughtering and butchering and such things, but he had a certain tendency, common enough in young men, to be rather overzealous uh, about just about everything. 
He was red-faced and breathing heavily as he entered the tent. He had obviously just run straight here. All right, all right, what is it, Phineas? Moses grumbled. What minor infraction have you uncovered now? Has someone trimmed the corners of his beard? What? Phineas panted. What have you heard? I'll send the beard patrol right away. No, never mind, I was just... Moses sat up and in the bed. Listen, just what is it that brings you barging in my tent at eight o'clock in the morning? There's a man, Phineas said. His name is Zimri, the son of the leader of the tribe of Simeon. He has, with the agreement of his family, decided to take a wife. That's it. Tell him Mazeltov for me, Moses said impatiently as he flung himself back into his bed and pulled the skins up towards his head. The woman is a princess of the Midianites. Moses froze just before the skins reached his chin. Uh, a Midianite? he asked bleakly. And that is a, a problem? Phineas just stared at Moses. He didn't have to say a word. The sneer on his face said it all. Phineas knew very well the nationality of Zipporah. But he also knew that it was a subject that nobody ever mentioned aloud. But there was another truth hidden there in his glance. This was one area where Moses' leadership was particularly vulnerable. If Moses were seen in any way to be giving preferential treatment to Midianites, all bets would be off. Eventually, Moses found his voice. What do you mean to do? He croaked. Phineas did not answer. Instead, he stepped out of the tent for but a moment. When he stepped back in, he was carrying a long spear, and his eyes were wild. camp of the Simeonites was filled with feasting, dancing, and drinking. The marriage of the eldest son of their chieftain was something that everyone wanted to be part of. Even representatives of the other tribes had been invited. When Cosby and her family arrived in the camp, they were greeted as what they were, visiting royalty. The ancient Hebrews, like all ancient peoples, did not have what we would recognize as a wedding ceremony. The only formal part of getting married was the agreement that was made between the two families. Such matters as the payment of a bride price and the dowry were matters to be decided between the male representatives of each family, and the bride and the groom certainly had no place in that. So this was not a wedding ceremony, but rather a grand party celebrated 
Well, Zimri physically took Cosby and carried her to his tent. The people showered them with tokens of fertility in the form of tiny statues of the Baal of Peor, and many shouted lewd and explicit advice to Zimri for what he ought to do once he got her into the tent. Both the bride and the groom were flushed with excitement, tinged with some embarrassment. Finally, to the sound of a great cheer, Zimri arrived at his tent flap, and the couple disappeared inside. Of course, the culmination of the journey to the tent did not mean that the people were inclined to leave. Instead, they gathered closer on the canvas, and every time they heard the faintest grunt or sigh, they responded with more encouragement. The wineskins continued to be passed around the group, and everyone was caught up with what was going on. No one was expecting some crazy person to come charging through the camp, brandishing a long spear. Phineas was yelling at the top of his lungs. His violent intention seemed clear enough, and yet the people of Simeon seemed frozen in shock and disbelief. Nothing obstructed his progress as Phineas ran straight into the tent to find Cosby and Zimri lying naked, belly to belly, and thrust his spear through the both of them in one swift motion. The entire tribe of Simeon almost completely surrounded Moses. They were crying out for blood. They were demanding that the crazed priest Phineas be hoisted upon a spear before the whole people just as he had done to the newlyweds. Moses stood before the people and he did not look good. He was pale and shaking though whether he was shaking with anger or fear was not clear. Beside him at his right hand stood the priestly families of Israel, looking ever so calm, stern, and self-righteous. Finally, Moses motioned for the people to be silent, and they, out of deep respect for everything that he had done for them, complied. But their simmering anger was barely contained. Please, p please, Moses said to the people, you need to understand that Phineas was only being zealous for the people of God. We are Yahweh's people. He has chosen us and made us his own nation among all the peoples of the earth. Surely we must remain apart from the other nations. We dare not uh, sully our nation by polluting it with the blood of others, especially the uh, accursed Midianites. Oh, Moses knew that he would pay for saying that when he got back to the tent that night. There is nothing that an angry mob hates more than the open display of pure hypocrisy. The Simeonites all shouted with one voice that Moses had betrayed them, and that he too was worthy of death. 
And then a disciplined shout came from the ranks of the priestly families. The people looked up in horror as the sharp spears that they had been carrying carelessly at their sides were raised as one, pointing menacingly at the people of the tribe. Those people who had come armed with nothing but their grief and anger ran in sudden panic. Some days later, Moses assembled all of the people of the tribes. He had gotten something of his old groove back. He spoke with force and authority, even though he did cast the occasional sidelong glance at the gathered priests. They had promised him that nothing would happen to Zipporah or to him if he told the line. The people of Simeon, gathered at the left side of the assembled nation still gave him dark looks with many a grumble but they had been pacified somewhat by an offer of certain special privileges a somewhat tenuous peace had been re-established in the camps but at what cost The story of Zimri and Cosby is deeply disturbing. While I like to imagine that it began as a love story, it quickly turns into a horror story that borders on genocide. One of the other things that is particularly disturbing about it is the apparent hypocrisy. We are told in Exodus that Moses has a Midianite wife named Zipporah, but Zimri is executed for the very same thing along with his Midianite wife, Cosby. How can what is acceptable for Moses be a death sentence for Zimri? What is going on in stories like this is actually more complex than simple hypocrisy. There is no doubt that there is a certain thread that runs through parts of the Bible that is extremely xenophobic. According to some writers of the Bible, a mixed marriage, a marriage between an Israelite male and a female from one of the surrounding nations, was about the worst thing that could possibly happen. That attitude is certainly reflected in this story. Another key episode written from this point of view is found in Ezra chapters 9 and 10, where Ezra, a priestly leader like Phineas, become so outraged by marriages of Israelite men with Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, and Amorites, that he forces these men to expel their wives and children, a measure that would have resulted in their extreme poverty and perhaps death. But this is not the only biblical word on this contentious issue. Other biblical stories push back against this xenophobic attitude towards women. 
The story of Zipporah is one key example. But perhaps the most dramatic and memorable example is the story of Ruth, the Moabite woman who married an Israelite man, which was deemed worthy of an entire biblical book. Both Ruth and Zipporah in their own ways saved the nation of Israel and are celebrated for it. These stories are not actually not examples of hypocrisy, but rather of how certain parts of the Bible push back against the message in other parts. The Bible is actually in dialogue with itself because that's what kind of a book it is. It is not a book of clear answers on contentious issues like those related to xenophobia. It's a story of people working out difficult issues in dialogue with each other. And for me, that is actually something that makes the Bible particularly helpful for us and the challenges we have to deal with in the world today. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Make sure you subscribe so you can get the next one at the end of, this, of next month. And there may be other special episodes before that. A great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a wonderful way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for this podcast is Ada. Cosby and Zimri's theme music is Last Kiss Goodnight. And Phineas's theme is Crusade. All of the music is by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>